Computer, initialize Holosuite. Star Trek fans and welcome to Random Trek Review. This is the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt and Andrew, my good friend, uh, will be with me as per usual. And uh, Andrew, I, I hear you've been uh, acting uh, very strangely lately. I heard you made a rather sizable donation to the Bajoran War Orphans Fund. Uh, do we need to take you down to the uh, infirmary and have Dr. Bashir check you out? Well, yeah, I've been just reading the new rules of acquisition, and uh, it has made me realize that, uh, you know, my financial portfolio, there wasn't really enough charitable uh, givings in there. So you have to make these changes every once in a while, right? Yes, I think we do need to take you down and get you checked out. That sounds very (laughs) uncharacteristic of you, but... In this edition of the podcast, we are going to be discussing the Deep Space Nine episode Profit Motive, but before we get into that, Andrew, let's revisit... The end of our last podcast and uh, where I told you everything I could remember from Profit Motive and give me a score out of five donations to the Bajoran War Orphans Fund. Yeah, five bars of gold press latinum's worth, right? Yeah, I mean, you got basically a freebie with the word profit uh, in there. So you, you definitely uh, had a nice little tip off here that this was probably something to do with uh, Quark and Rom, but as well the Bajoran... Uh, gods or the Bajoran wormhole aliens. Uh, you knew that the Grand Nagus showed up and had had an experience in the wormhole from uh, a trip through the Gamma Quadrant and that he had come up with a new set of rules for the acquisitions. But these ones were going to be basically flip reversed, giving money to the poor and uh, being very like uh, loose with the money is what you said. Um, you said that the end of the episode basically kind of turned into Quark and Rom trying to figure it out, and they figured out that there was kind of that alien influence, that the prophets had kind of altered Zek in a way, and they essentially just bargained for him to to be brought back or to be changed back, um, which ended up being true. Um, And then you also had that the side story was going to be a Bashir one. And so, I mean, that's a five out of five. So the uh, Bajoran uh, war orphans... Are uh, are going to be uh, are going to be in for a nice big donation from Matt this week. Yeah, the uh, the war the war orphans will be well cared for this uh, this time. What with your unusual generosity and my five out of five uh, recall, so that's very good. I'm glad the war orphans will be uh, they'll be getting lots of soup this week. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we will be discussing Profit Motive. It's from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, season three, episode number sixteen. Originally aired on February 20th, 1995, it guest stars Max Grodenchik as Rom, Juliana Donald as Emmy, Tiny Ron as May Hardu, and Andrew's favorite, Wallace Shawn as Grand Nagus Zek. It was written by Ira Stephen Baer and Robert Hewitt Wolfe, and surprisingly, it was directed by René Aubergenois. In the off chance you didn't get a chance to watch it over the past couple weeks, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis here, so you know what we're talking about. 
Cork is in the middle of getting some sweet umox from a young woman when Rom busts into his quarters and announces the arrival of Grand Nagus Zek, who moves into Cork's place. Bashir learns that he has been nominated for the Carrington Award, a prestigious medical award. He seems less than excited because he knows it is a Lifetime Achievement Award and that he has no chance of winning. Cork moves in with Rom, whose quarters are a mess. Cork can't stand it, so he visits the Grand Nagus, who reveals that he has revised the rules of acquisition. Cork and Rom excitedly dig into the new rules, but find them to be benevolent in complete contradiction with tra traditional Ferengi values. Zek demonstrates unusual behavior, buying a round of drinks and sabotaging Quark's business deal by showing a potential buyer where to get merchandise at wholesale. He forms the Ferengi Benevolent Association, an organization dedicated to helping people free of charge. This prompts Quark to take Zek to the infirmary to be examined by Dr. Bashir, who finds nothing is wrong with him. Mayhardu leads Quark and Rom to Zek's personal shuttle, where they find a Bajoran orb. Quark is able to deduce that Zek was hoping to use the orb to see into the future for financial gain, but was changed by the wormhole aliens into a more primitive Ferengi. Quark and Rom take Zek into the wormhole and convince the aliens to turn him re return him to his old self. Meanwhile, the, the crew gathers for the big announcement, but are disappointed when Bashir doesn't win the Carrington Award. He isn't surprised, but does admit to Dax that he is still disappointed he didn't win. Zek leaves the station after being assured by Quark and Rom that they destroyed every copy of the new rules and promised to tell no one that he donated to charity. Not a whole lot of background development stuff as far as the story goes with this episode. A couple of interesting little things. Uh, the episode originates sort of from uh, Iris Stephen Bear's early attempts to make it in Hollywood. So I guess... Um, during like the early 90s, I believe it was, he was trying to make it as a writer and he, he had this idea for a show that was kind of similar where like one of the characters who is really known for being like a, a womanizer, I guess, met up with someone who like knew him and like knew of his womanizing. But I guess he'd become sort of as he'd like gotten older, he was like, ah, eh, you know what, maybe womanizing isn't such a great thing. I'm not really going to do it anymore. And the person who met up with this like famous womanizer was very disappointed by it. And I guess this is sort of where he drew the inspiration for this uh, this story where, you know, Grand Nagus Zek gets completely changed uh, as far as his benevolence or his level of benevolence, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, you can kind of see it, right? I, uh, I don't know that it necessarily translates um, as well here, but I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting sometimes reading about where people get ideas from sometimes it's just like a little nugget of something sometimes it's kind of an homage to something or a ripoff of something uh, and then sometimes it's just completely all out original and uh, yeah it's kind of an interesting little nugget there and I kind of can see the see the connection which is cool yeah as far as I know his story wasn't bought though so he had to you know his first first attempt wasn't wasn't successful but he stuck with it and Look, look at him now. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, now, the B-plot uh, with Bashir uh, in the Carrington Award is based on like a real sort of uh, in-joke that was involved the next generation. So leading up to, to writing the story of this episode, uh, the next generation was in the running for uh, the Emmy for best comedy or not comedy drama, drama series yeah. for the seventh season. And they were it, it, it was expected that NYPD Blue was going to win the award and no one else had a chance. So this story was kind of based on it. Bashir and the Carrington Award. And then I guess sort of as time went on, they were like, well, maybe we do have a chance. Maybe Next Generation will win. 
And then in the end, NYPD Blue didn't end up winning either, or, or Next Generation. It ended up being a show called uh, Picket Fences. I feel like I've heard of that show, but obviously NYPD Blue was huge when we were growing up, right? Jimmy Smith's and uh, Dennis Franz. Uh, I The thing with The Next Generation is, is that I feel like they just put themselves maybe like slightly in the... Uh, like in the doghouse or something, just because it was a syndicated show. So maybe like people thought, like looked down their nose or the fact that it was sci-fi or something. I don't know what the politics are of that exact thing, but I'm I'm kind of not surprised that they didn't win. It's it's kind of like the Star Wars movies never really won anything until late. You know what I mean? I think that they kind of got over it when Lord of the Rings swept the Oscars and stuff, but, um, you know, for years and years, Star Wars had been like snubbed at the Oscars and all the awards things. Cause it was kind of like lesser. And so I'm not really surprised to hear that TNG was snubbed as well. Well, maybe there were a few seasons too late as well. I mean, the seventh season wasn't the greatest <laughs> that the next generation had to offer, but, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting though, that like they sort of took that kind of situation and sort of translated it into a, you know, the B plot of an episode. Uh, this is the first appearance of the dartboard, which I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, they wanted to have a pool table. That was their sort of original idea. But I guess someone told them that that was what Voyager was planning to do. So they were like, oh, I guess we can't have two pool tables. That would just be crazy. The next thought was like, well, maybe they can you know, play cards. But then the next generation had their poker games. And so the dartboard was uh, the next... Now, this, I guess the third choice, you know, is sort of a game that people can play and, and talk at the same time. So, um, I mean, how, how different do you think it would be if it was a pool table in Quarks instead of a dartboard? Well, number one, they've already, they didn't really have as much space because they already had the gambling tables. So I don't know that the, the pool table would necessarily work as well. And I, I kind of feel like with the pool table, it would use up a lot of space. And Quark, you know, being such a business person, probably wouldn't want to, like, use up that amount of space that could be used for a... Uh, double wheel and so it just doesn't make as much sense you're not going to make any money off of a pool table whereas the darts board doesn't fit doesn't take any space really right i was gonna say he might he might let them have a pool table in there but they'll pay dearly for it well that's just it i mean like there are billiards halls and stuff where you take your five dollars or ten dollars and rent out the tables and stuff i just i just don't know that it would really be as profitable as like a dabo table so i i i mean i think the other thing too is just that like it obviously didn't really stick with voyager that like irish pub that they used uh i feel like was only in the first couple of seasons and then eventually it kind of made way to the resort and then the resort finally made way to like Fairhaven and then eventually Chaotica and stuff. So, I mean, they didn't really end up sticking with the pool table anyway. And so, I mean, as far as bar games go, I think that darts is on par with pool hundred percent. We had just talked about actually with the uh, doppelganger Bashir. Remember when they were like amidst the war and he was talking about how he had just ordered some new uh, dart uh, feathers or dart, uh, uh, dart <laughs> needles or whatever it happened to be. And it was like, wait, what? So uh, I, yeah, I love the dartboard. I think it's a, I think it's a great one. I actually prefer it over the pool table, really. Yeah, the dartboard definitely became a fixture uh, throughout 
the series. I mean, whenever I whenever I see them playing darts, I always think of the first time Worf, Worf walks in and they're like explaining it to him, and he he's like, oh, you know, and he's like, oh, I don't play games. And then O'Brien says, think of it as target practice, and he takes the dart and he just like winds up like full <laughs> yeah. throw, and like he, I think he like broke the board because he like he had it like you know two inches into the board, and the board it like made it like a shorting out sound. It was hilarious. Yeah, I do. Li- I do like that. It's kind of like futuristic. It maybe is like counting your score or something whenever you hit a certain area. That was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It makes like those little noises and the the light up. It lights up and stuff. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty futuristic looking dartboard. Uh, let's just dive right in here. Uh, we're gonna start with uh, two of our favorite topics. So uh, Quark is. Uh, we're gonna start with more Umox, uh, our favorite <laughs> topic of conversation. Uh, yeah. We get it. We we start with. Quark getting, uh, you know, the, the earlobe rub from this young lady. And they're, they're talking about a deal uh, for some self-stealing stem bolts, which always seem to, like, pop up. And I don't know what they do. And I don't think anyone knows what they do. I think it's just a name that sounds very industrial. Yeah, very futuristic, right? Like bolts that you don't need to screw down. You just, they just seal themselves, you know? Uh I kind of feel like maybe they're sealed like as in uh, like a, like plumbing or something, you know, they, they seal up and they won't leak or anything. The, uh, the odd thing about this is that uh, the Umox is obviously intended to be kind of like a, a sexual or flirtatious kind of thing. Uh, but in this situation, she is, uh, you know, she's kind of wooing and flirting with Quark, but she's also just openly accepting his obviously, uh, underhanded deal. Like, I don't know that she's like, he wants to get rid of them. Like, I think the joke with the self steel self sealing stem bolts is the fact that they don't actually have any value. You are under the illusion that Quark is kind of stuck with them, but then he somehow manufactures this amazing deal, even though she's the one who's trying to kind of put the moves on him. That part didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think she was just really naive Oh, because you know, later on in the episode, you know, Zach, like, t- you know, he basically sabotages the deal by saying, oh, if you go here, you can get them at wholesale and they'll be so much less expensive or whatever. And so I wonder if like she was just not she just didn't know she was just naive and didn't really understand that. Oh, I need these self-sealing stem, stem bolts, but I don't know how to get them or where to get them or how much they cost. And so Quark somehow manufactured you know or- orchestrated this deal but that i mean that's the only thing i can think of that kind of explains it but yeah it's it's kind of interesting how they almost seem like they were trying to woo like they were trying to rip each other off you know she thought she was getting a great deal and quark is like you know it's quietly laughing in his head because he's got these stem bolts that he's trying to get rid of and someone finally is willing to pay him money for them it's kind of interesting the the back and forth there i think that they also just like the opening with like cork's face and the 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 sexual innuendo that goes with it i think maybe they're trying to kind of pique our interest or, or at least kind of getting us to to hopefully stay on the channel and see where this is at they've got like this good looking girl and she's doing the umox on cork i think we're, we're kind of is supposed that to really be... the best way for to keep <laughs> us watching <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I mean, if that isn't your thing, then I mean, the next thing is definitely not my thing, which is that the big reveal that Grang Negazek is 
you know, is on the station and, and, and is this big surprise appearance. Like, they wanted to do something maybe to, to just kind of quell that or something. That's what that's my feeling. Like the they, they kind of know that at this point maybe that like, okay, Zek is gonna be a little bit of a groaner, so we'll start with something else. Like that's my kind of thought. Zek like moves into Quark's quarters. Is that like supposed to be like a gag? Is that supposed to be some kind of cause this is like the second time we've seen this over the last couple of podcasts where he shows up and he like just he just kicks quark out of his quarters like is this supposed to be like a funny bit or is that like i don't really get why that has happened again yeah i from what i've kind of gathered it seems to me like armin shimmerman and a lot of the ferengi characters they they almost had their own kind of brotherhood and sisterhood where they would get together at Armin Shimmerman's house and go over certain things that they want to do. So I'm not really surprised that we see a lot of the same beats because I kind of have these like visions of, you know, them up at night drinking and laughing. And I think that this is something that they think is like hilarious, right? Like, and then the Grand Nagus, will he'll move into Quarks and he'll be displaced. He'll be living with Rom and, there's, it's going to be all messy and stuff. Like I think that they are really slapping themselves on the knee, and they think that this stuff is just gold, and so they keep going back to it. And they, it's like you said, it's supposed to be a running gag, uh, but it's more of a, like almost like an in joke amongst them. Because one of the things that I've noticed with the Ferengi episodes, especially the first time that I watched the, watched Deep Space Nine, I felt like okay, yeah, that was yeah, the Ferengi episodes aren't that bad. And then the second time that I watched it through, I, I kind of had that feeling like every time a Frankie episode came up, it was slightly, just kind of felt like it was slightly out of place. And now that I'm kind of going through it for the third time, I'm really realizing that it, it there's just something that's slightly askew. Like when I watch these episodes, I'm like, okay, I get it. You guys like money. The joke is that uh, you're greedy. Like there's something that's, it's repetitive, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so I'm not really surprised that they do this again because I kind of feel like all the Frankie episodes are similar and it's like the same jokes again and again, right? Well, if it's supposed to be a gag or a joke, like, I don't really get it. You know, like, why is it always Quark's quarters? Why doesn't he just, like, get his own quarters? Like, I don't know. I, I don't... It's something that I, I think you maybe are right that it's something that either that whole group of actors or the writers whatever they think it's funny and so they keep doing it but it's like this, this makes no sense like why would he move into like quarks like you know quarters when he could just be like give me your biggest suite yeah and it, again it's not flushed out because if it was a situation where one of the character traits of zek and you know the genius behind him is that he's just super cheap you know like he actually isn't a genius businessman he's just so stingy and so cheap that uh, he won't even pay for the quarters. He's just going to use quarks and boot him out. Then I would kind of buy it, right? Or if it was something where he didn't want to waste the money on the big suite, then I, then I would kind of buy it. But uh, this is more maybe just kind of showing like, okay, Zek is above quark in the hierarchy. And for like maybe the casual fans who watch this every once in a while, they kind of know quark. He's kind of like the Ferengi on the station and... He's kind of like the main character one, the bossy one. And so when they bring Zek in, they boot, he boots Quark out of the quarters. And so then the commoner fan 
can look at it and be like, oh, this guy's more important than Quark. He kicked him out. Like maybe that's what it is. But I kind of agree with you. If you're so rich and you're so powerful and everything else, why wouldn't you just get the best possible uh, room? Because it seems to me like Quark's quarters, especially when they emptied it out at the middle of the episode, his quarters are pretty small. Like I feel like there's got to be executive rooms on Deep Space Nine that are way more lush and way way nicer if you're a head of state and you came to my hometown are you staying in my apartment or are you getting like the <laughs> nicest hotel room in that's the city? true that's true well i uh you know what i can't afford to stay at the royal york uh, so the next time i'm in the city i'm, I'm probably going to be crashing on your couch unfortunately man but then again i'm not a head of state All right, moving on, we, we get a scene, and we've talked about this before, but this is like one of the classic like Deep Space Nine sort of party slash gatherings where they all get in the boardroom or whatever, you know, and they're, they're celebrating because Bashir has been nominated for this uh, very prestigious Carrington Award. And uh, I just love these scenes where, you know, everyone sort of gets together and they're, you know, hanging out and celebrating whatever it is or, or having fun. Like this is such a classic deep space nine thing. They do this a lot. And I think this is part of what makes the show so great. Yeah. I mean, it's a paycheck scene, right? So this is really, I think the only scene where we get, uh, well, maybe there's two scenes actually where we see Cisco and we see Nana visitor and, and like all the characters that aren't really featured this episode, they really only show up in these kind of party scenes and they get their paycheck. I feel like that's what I always think of. These are during the era, I guess, where uh, I guess this is during the era where they uh, they kind of needed to have every person in every episode, except for Jake, apparently, because I don't think he's in this episode. He wasn't invited to the party. I guess he I guess his invite must have gotten lost in like the comm system or something. I, I do kind of like this as a a way of giving importance to this secondary plot, this idea that Quark, or sorry, that uh, Bashir is nominated for this prestigious award, but he he feels as if it's unqualified or un unjustified. Uh, it, it's a little strange because they say that it's for lifetime achievement in medicine. Like, isn't Bashir supposed to be like in his 20s? Yeah, I think like late 20s. Well, he's supposed to be like fresh out of the academy, right? Now, I mean, I guess there's potentially medical school tacked onto that. But yeah, I would say like mid to late 20s is where he's supposed to be. Yeah. And there's kind of this little reference that maybe it was Jadzia who had put his name uh, into the hat uh, to potentially be nominated. And, and I was almost curious as to whether maybe there was something more to that or the, we were supposed to maybe think that you know the Dax name had enough kind of weight that it pushed Bashir's name like higher up the ranks or something I don't know maybe she's because she's like a join trill she sort of loses perspective what it like lifetime means maybe yeah that that's <laughs> that's an interesting idea too actually yeah like I I don't it was a little bit strange that she would push to have him nominated or i mean unless she just didn't know that it was a lifetime award she just knew it was some prestigious award that's the only other thing i would say as a potential explanation for dax uh, nominating him I, I i think that it's it's intriguing for sure and i mean as far as side plots or, or b plots go this one i feel is pretty good yeah it's kind of an interesting uh look at sort of how Bashir looks at awards he didn't because he was like very uninterested in it and I, I think part of it was because he knew that he had no chance of winning 
But I think part of it was also just like, well, I'm just doing my job. Or maybe, maybe it was more of the former than the latter, but... I, I, I kind of feel like it doesn't necessarily fit with the over-cocky, uh, you know, leader of the frontier medicine that we had seen in the early few uh, episodes of Deep Space Nine. Uh, and I think that that part of it might have been interesting to, to see. And we, we've talked about how Bashir as a character has kind of, he matures really quickly just because of the situations that he's put into. Uh, but I could have, I would have kind of liked to see a little bit more of that cockiness slightly earlier. Cause he does kind of get to a point where he hopes that he does win. But I, I almost wish there was a little bit more, a little bit more arrogance, a little bit more cockiness. It would have made for a much in, more interesting B plot if he was like, you know, really gung ho for it. And he was like, I'm going to win. I, you know, too, I don't care if I'm the youngest nominee. I don't care if these, you know, it's a lifetime award. I'm going to win. And I, cause I accomplished all this stuff. It would have made it a little bit more interesting for sure. We're kind of getting a little bit long on the Carrington award. It really does just kind of boil down to as much as we have said. Um, we should kind of resort back to the, the main storyline here, which is the, you know, Quark is now moved in with Rom and, Rom's quarters are a disaster. Is that a character trait that <laughs> is that a character trait that we've kind of seen of Rom that I know he's kind of bumbly and I know that he's kind of a little like like a little bit of a of a goof but is, is it really been said that he's like a slob and that he his place is messy and stuff before? Well, they explained that he explained that Nog normally cleans his quarters so that and Nog was away so that's why it was so messy. I mean, I could maybe see Rom being a bit untidy just because he he, he is a little bit scatterbrained. Um, now, I, I, this was a gag that I thought was actually pretty funny because it was like it was like college dorm level, <laughs> yeah. un, you know, messy. Like it was ridiculous. There was stuff everywhere. It was so like I thought this was actually pretty funny. One small thing. Did you notice that Quark ordered millipede juice? I did, though, that and, and, and he said, uh, keep the shells or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, you know, that's like consistent because Frangie definitely are known for, for, for eating bugs. Yeah, yep. that was good. And then the other part that I thought was pretty, was kind of funny too, is like Quark kept like finding things from his bar. Like yeah. where did this glass come from? And where did this bottle of brandy come from? And I, and, and like, you know, he basically accused Rom of like pillaging items from his bar and they sort of got into a bit of an argument over that which i thought was pretty funny yeah it was interesting actually because it was kind of alluded to that maybe uh, rom had access to his secret stash or he somehow was able to break into the the, the stored areas or the secure areas um, that part was a little bit kind of strange because then Quark says that he's going to, you know, he's going to do an audit and, and he's going to get all the stuff back. But I, I didn't really think of Rom as being somebody that would, you know, be kind of stealing from Quark. That that maybe didn't fit with what I thought about Rom. It's kind of a funny bit, don't get me wrong. But did you did you think that it fit the character? He is a Ferengi. I mean, if he thought he could get away with it, I could maybe see it. And I mean, at the end, he, we find out that he was like doing some other uh, un, untoward things. So maybe. I, I mean, I see what you're saying about how he is sort of the more moral of the two brothers, but I, I, I don't know. I think if he was convinced that he could get away with it, I think he might, you know, sneak a bottle or two out the back door. Yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty funny. And I, I will say at this point of the episode, 
I'm definitely enjoying it. I, I think the interplay here is really good and everything. Um, the one thing I was kind of thinking about, though, as I was watching it, there was, because Zek is not revealed in the opener. You get to see the staff and the cloaked face. Very similar, actually. We've, we've seen Zek revealed in this way. And so there was kind of a point, and it was right around this point, actually, where they're going to go over and visit him, where I was like, did they even get Wallace Shawn for this? Like, is it going to be kind of one of these things where it's like, you know, cloak and dagger or something. But of course they go next door and we get the big reveal that, you know, Zek is there, but he's just not himself. So yeah, there, there was a moment there where I was kind of like, oh, you know what? Like, is it just gonna be one of those things where they're talking about him a lot? And then of course we, we get him and uh, we get uh, a different version of Zek here. He gets rid of all of Quark's stuff first. <laughs> yeah. The quarters are completely empty. And the Mr. Uh, or not Mr. Hump, geez, that's... Uh, uh, Mr. Hum is uh, Loxana's manservant. Yeah, so um, Mehardu is, uh, he's like reading in the corner and he looks all perturbed and everything. He was very, very distressed. Yeah, I, I kind of like this <laughs> idea though, where you take uh, Zek, which I'm assuming we've probably seen Zek at this point like a couple of times. And so you take him and you basically totally switch him and, and have him acting so totally different. And I, I kind of like it. The, 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 the way that they're playing off of each other, I think, is, is actually really good. And as Zek gets to be more and more outrageous, right? So, I mean, it starts with the clearing out all of uh, Quark's stuff, but then he's buying drinks, and then he's ruining the deals, and, of course, keeps getting more and more. I actually really liked it. I thought that it was really well done, and I thought that the jokes at this point were really kind of funny. Yeah, there was definitely some funny uh, stuff here. Like, so you mentioned Mayhardu is like crying in the corner as Quark and Rom sort of like start rifling through the the book. You know, they sort of cut over to him, and he's just like, Ooh. <laughs> it, it was funny. I don't know really what his sort of skin in the game is. Yeah, he's not Ferengi, but it. I thought it still was pretty funny that he's just like sobbing in the corner. And didn't Quark, like, pass out? Yeah, he kind of, like, he, he almost, like, becomes, like, a gas. Yeah. Yeah, he, like, fainted after he was he read through some of them. Yeah. And then after that, he, like, he, like refuses to accept it. He's like, this can't be, this can't be true. These can't be the real rules. He thought it was, like, some kind of a code or there was, like, some kind of secret within the text of the rules. And he he gets rom to start reading the first pa word from each page and it was just gibberish i you know i mean that's like total quark too right like he's not going to just accept these new rules as that is like the complete opposite of everything he believes in or has been taught through his whole life um yeah it was it was pretty pretty funny yeah and matt did you notice that they were actually all rules that we had already heard before but reversed yeah yeah i did know this yeah, yeah so like because i think the first rule in the original is like once you have their money never never give it back that's and right and the new the first new rule was if they ask for their money exactly. back give it to them and actually so we get six different new rules and they were all rules that we had already seen before we won't go through them all but uh greed is dead was uh the new rule greed is eternal was the original rule never place profit before friendship uh, and then the old one was never place friendship above profit. So they just took ones they already had and flip reverse them. So for people who keep track of the rules of acquisition, I think that that would have been kind of a cool little Easter egg for me. I had to go look it up. I remember the first one because I feel like we had just recently reviewed an episode that had 
the first rule of acquisition, but the other ones I had to go back and look up and I thought that was pretty good. I, I thought that was a nice Easter egg for the fans. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty nice little attention to detail that they would actually go back and like you say, completely reverse a few that we already knew. That was pretty, pretty clever and pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good that they did that. And yeah, so you mentioned like, you know, Zach is like, it's not just he's rewritten these rules. He's like completely the opposite of what he was. Uh, he goes to Quark's and he buys a round of drinks for everyone. And they're like, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, it will make everyone happy. So then, then it will make me happy. And he like has given up the Beatles snuff. Yeah, exactly. He's got, he's gone vegan. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you, I think you mentioned that. He, uh, well, we, we, we talked about how he sabotaged uh, Quark's uh, deal for the stem bolts by, you know, directing that young lady to uh, a wholesaler. So, yeah, like things are just completely out of whack here. And it's pretty clear that uh, something's up with, with Zek. I think that when Zek is good, like good Zek, the way that he delivers the lines for, I think maybe because it's just slightly more positive and, and, and the, the pitch is slightly different. I think that it's funnier. Like there was something about, like just speaking of the stem bolt deal, where he goes to Quark and he says, oh, I told her where to get it. Wholesale. And it, and then all like Rom and, and Quark are like, oh my God, wholesale. You can't do that. Like, I think that that is funnier than Zek normally would be. Like, because if, if it was regular evil Zek, everybody that is... A Ferengi would be in on it like they'd all be kind of cackling like uh you know the witch from the Wizard of Oz but in this one Zek is positive he's good and he's saying you know wholesale and then everybody else it's their reaction where the humor comes from and, and I think that that works a lot better and they keep amping it up so I mean buying everybody a drink okay big deal who cares about that ruining the 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 de ruining the uh Quark's stem bolt deal Okay, that's upping the game a little bit, and then the, the before we kind of go off into the uh, the fourth act, uh, he starts the benevolent association, and this is kind of where it's like now they really can't take it, right? Like now it's like this is almost like going too far, uh, and and that part of that building it, I think, really really worked well in the episode. Yeah, it, it just keeps getting more and more and more, right? Like first he gives them the book, and then he goes, he buys them a drink, and now he's like started this. It sort of ends with him. He's got this whole big operation that he's going to start. And basically the whole premise is, well, we're just going to help people and not charge them money. And it's like, like that is total opposite of what you would expect from any Ferengi at any time. And uh, there was another thing I wrote that like Mayhar do is just like not having any of it. Like, even though he's sort of like the silent, you know, manservant or whatever you want to call him. You can just see the pain in his face. Like, it's actually pretty good, you know, acting, I think, here because he's just so distraught. And they they, they kept sort of going back to him and showing his, like, just his face and how he's he's so upset about this, you know, very drastic change in uh, Grand Nagasek. There is something inherently funny about being upset about something that really is not worth being upset about there there's a professional wrestler uh chris jericho and, and he had this gimmick where he carried around a clipboard and whenever anybody upset him he would pull out a pen and he would just add them to this arbitrary list and it was always like a big sell up right like somebody would bump into him or something you go oh you know what happens you know what happens when somebody bumps into me 
you're on the list. And and he, I remember reading in a podcast or uh, reading somewhere that he said the reason why it worked so well was that like the list didn't mean anything. It was just a list of people's names, but it was the way that people reacted to it. So like when people got put on the list, they'd like throw their hands up. Oh, no, no, don't put me on. Don't put me on it. And that was what made it so funny, right? Was that there was, it was their reaction to something that really is so stupid. And that's why this works as well. You know, he started up this association. He's uh, buying drinks in the bar. It really doesn't affect Mehardu at all. But he's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, the, it, he's overdoing it. And so that's where all the humor comes from. And it's like when uh, Elaine's, like, communist boyfriend got blacklisted from Hop Sings. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got me blacklisted from Hop Sings? You named and it names. it was, like, the end of... <laughs> It was like the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, okay, whatever. You get blacklisted from a Chinese restaurant or whatever. Is it really the end of the world? Eh, I mean, they might make really good chow mein, but you can get it elsewhere. Yeah, it's, but he just reacted like it was such a, such a big deal. Yeah, and that's, it's, it, that will be funny from, from now until forever. We mentioned the uh, the dartboard, and uh, so we get to the point in the episode where uh, you know O'Brien and Bashir are uh, playing darts uh, in the cargo bay for for some odd reason, and um, I I loved the sort of um, the the way they were trying to like mess each other up here as they were playing. It was it was you know O'Brien's like talking about the award and like oh do you think you got a chance? I think so and so has got a chance, or I think this guy's gonna win. And Bashir's like tossing his darts and they're like missing the board. And then you know you then after a few rounds of that, he finally sort of wisens up or and you know says something about oh Keiko's uh, not gonna be back for another month. And O'Brien throws and he misses the board and. I really thought that that was a pretty clever scene where it, that's also really relatable because I'm sure both of us have been in, you know, a pool hall or whatever. And, you know, we're trying to get each, you know, our opponent off their game. And so we make, you know, comments like that. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of speaks to how genius it was to do the do the dartboard. The dartboard really is probably one of the best ways to have the actors be doing something while having the conversation rather than, you know, like Star Trek, we all know that the walk and talk, right? I, you've heard uh, Frakes talk about it uh, in the behind the scenes stuff, the walk and talk, the walk and talk, the walk and talk. Delta Flyers too, they talk about walk and talks a lot. Yeah. Walk and talk, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it gets played out after a while. This is such a great little way to, to kind of to switch it up, right? And I think that, you know, they did it with the racquetball. Eh, didn't work as great. Um, I never thought that the pool table in, in Voyager worked as well, but th this is perfect. Like the dart game actually is, is the, really the best type of thing because there's no real time limit on your shots or anything. So you can, you know, sit, talk about something, then throw and, and, and everyone has their turn or what have you. So this, this is, yeah, this is perfect. I like the little jabs and it getting under somebody's skin. It, it really kind of shows the early days of the Bashir, Brian bromance. The thing I would say about the pool tables, is there's usually like too many people kind of around. Yeah. It doesn't really make for a good, you know, conversation between two people or, or even, three people because there's you know in the voyager one there's always like those people kind of milling around whether they're crew members or holograms and yeah the darts is, is perfect because it's you know it's a two-person game well and the whole thing with darts too is like you get three shots i get three shots you get three shots i get three shots so you could be throwing while i'm talking and vice versa whereas in pool if you keep getting knocking balls down then you keep playing 
So that's really like the only the other person can really talk or like you'd have to be really bad at pool. Like you have to keep missing, but that doesn't really look very good if like I miss, you miss, I miss, you miss. So then I, I think darts is really actually one of the, one of the best ones to do. And I mean, the poker was really good in Next Generation as well, but it, it kind of like you can't keep playing while you're talking. So you kind of had to stop, talk and then and play your cards or whatever. Well, speaking of Dr. Bashir, Quark is like so convinced that something is wrong with Zek's like brain or whatever that he actually like takes him to the infirmary and says, Doctor, I want you to run every test you can think of on, on this, on Zek. And, you know, Bashir runs the test and finds that, uh, didn't, didn't he say that Zek was like in like actually really good health for his age? They did say that. Yeah. And then I think, didn't he say something about beetle snuff and Zek was like, oh, I already gave it up. Yeah. I, I do think that maybe it's unfortunate that uh, Esri wasn't uh, working on Deep Space Nine at this point because I don't know what Bashir's kind of level for, for mental health uh, is and, and his expertise and everything. But, I mean, if somebody's personality completely changes 100%, you know, if you've got like a happy-go-lucky person who's, you know, always in a good mood and then all of a sudden they're mean and angry and they're kicking the dog and stuff. That is a mental health problem. And Bashir at one point says like, oh, his mental health is great. No, not really. Like, I don't think that you can have somebody's entire personality change and give them a clean bill of mental health anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a product of the times, right? I mean, men mental health wasn't really as prominent uh, an issue as it is now. It was... You would think that maybe in the future they'd be able to make that determination just with a tricorder. Who knows? But yeah, it would have made for an interesting, uh, you know, scene if they, you know, sat Zek down with Esri Dax and, you know, she did her psychology uh, stuff on him. That could have been a, an interesting scene. You know, hold, holding up little pictures and being like, tell me what you see. <laughs> yeah, Rorschach test. Yeah. <laughs> on Grand Higazek. I'm I'm starting to wane here. I do think that the episode kind of drops a gear, uh, especially once we start getting the resolution. This was kind of the last thing that I, I was really kind of into. And from here out, I find that it, it gets a little bit on the zany side and a little bit on the... I, I don't know the word. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss here. But uh, I, yeah, I, I'm just kind of forewarned here that... This is where the episode takes a step down for me personally. Yeah, it's kind of around this spot that I kind of started losing it a bit. Like, the, I thought it was kind of funny that they sent, you know, he took him to Bashir to be examined. But then after that, they find an, him and Rom, you know, Mehardu kind of leads them to the shuttle, like, without, without speaking, of course. And they find the, the Bajoran orb. And that's kind of where things kind of turned for me because they sort of, you know, they have the, like, wrestler, like, both pulling on it and they're like let's open it and Quark's like no no we can't do that and they're tugging on it and it drops and it opens up accidentally and they have this really weird Quark has this really weird orb experience where like Zek's like the the, the image of Zek was like kind of taunting him and was like don't be why are you so afraid of what's you know gonna happen and I don't know sometimes those orb experiences they don't go over well and it didn't really didn't really hit the mark as far as like I, I don't I I think maybe they were trying to express that, like, you know, Quark shouldn't be afraid of what's happening or what's coming, but I don't know. It was kind of, I just wrote down or Quark has a weird orb experience. I do really wish that the orbs had 
slightly more significance. Like I, I really wish at the very beginning of the season they had said, listen, there's 10 orbs, the orb of wisdom, the orb of knowledge, the orb of uh, prophecy, like what, whatever. And they had kept those in place because these kinds of episodes where it's like, oh yeah, look, it's the orb of wisdom. And Zek got it from a random place where we never saw or figured it out and then you have this weird kind of dream sequence where you don't really learn much but you kind of get this kind of standoff and then you know immediately afterwards rather than kind of having like a revelation Quark is immediately just back to his old self like I'm gonna sell this for month for lots of money um like it's just it just doesn't really sit right with me um, especially since, uh, like, I mean, if you're a big fan of Bajoran religion episodes and you saw an episode with profit in the title, man, would you be disappointed watching this, right? Like <laughs> this is all you get and it's pretty bad. I think that there's some, something to it. Like the, the Ferengis interacting with the, the prophets is, is a great idea. I think that it's an interesting one. I just don't know if the execution is here. The theory was, okay, I'm going to have this orb and I'm going to use the, the ability to see into the future for, you know, to reap financial gain, which pretty Ferengi, you know, that seems pretty fitting, right? But this 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 first orb experience was just really odd. Yeah, and I mean, like, the the, the prophets are, like, all-knowing and, and they, they don't follow, like, our time continuum. So then are we left to believe that this actually is the, the, the path of the future? Like, socialism and kindness and, and, and good is actually the, the way to eventually make it, you know, ahead? Like, is that what they were trying to kind of teach Zek? Or is this just like a goofy Ferengi episode where everything's turned on its head? Well, yeah, like it wasn't really clear at this point why they changed him. I think it was just, they, they just sort of determined that like, oh, he's very aggressive and he could be dangerous. So we're going to like completely re do a 180 on his brain. Or is it, a, is it a monkey paw situation where he asked how to become all wealthy and they basically turned him into good because then it's like inner wealth or something, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really clear. It was just a really kind of bizarre scene. Yeah, and this for me is kind of where, you know, the wheels were wobbling and now one of them flew off. <laughs> you know, like, the, I'm, I'm kind of like, Ugh, you know, at this point I'm, I'm wondering if maybe I should just head to bed. Uh, I kind of know where this is going and I'm looking at my watch and realizing they really don't have enough time here to wrap this up in a meaningful, logical, and satisfying way. Yeah, since we're talking about bizarre scenes, so then there's a scene in the replimat with where Odo has like all this inside information, like my bro you know, my friends, brothers, neighbors, dogs, walkers, <laughs> you know, like one of those sort yep. of crazy series of acquaintances that and he's like, I know that so and so's not gonna win. So may you have a chance. And and it was kind of an odd scene. I don't really know why they put it in there. It didn't really serve any purpose other than... I, I believe this is Odo's only scene in the episode. Uh, yeah, I think he might be at the party, but maybe not. I can't remember. But Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. It, it's very weird because they there's kind of this... Like, he's not going to win, so, you know, now you've got a chance, which kind of brings us to the final part where eventually some random person we've never heard of wins, and they were like, oh, yeah, that guy never had a chance of winning, but he won anyway. So it's like, wait, what? Like, what 
were we supposed to take from this? Like it was corrupt or he got robbed or Well, or maybe it was that he had a he had a chance after all and maybe if he just believed he could have won. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps, but like this is kind of what I was talking about, right? Like there's not really enough time to to kind of finish it, so it's just like, oh no, he lost. He thought he was going to lose, lose, and then he did lose, and then he goes to Jadzia and is like, "Oh, actually, I did want to win." It's like, wait, what? Like, man, pick a side and be done with it. Like, I think that this is. I mean, the conclusion, I guess, wasn't surprising, but I guess Bashir's reaction to it was because the entire episode he was just sort of like, "Eh, I don't really care. I'm not going to win." And then all of a sudden, at the end, he like confesses that. He really did want to win. Like, yeah, it's like, like why what? would that doesn't make sense? Yeah. And I mean, we talked about how, like, you know, yeah, this is third season. It's not, you know, fresh off the runabout emissary Bashir, who's, you know, ready to change the universe, but he's still fairly young. And you'd think that he would still have some of that gusto to want to win this award. And then he doesn't the whole episode. And then at the very end, he said, yeah, yeah, it was a little bit weird. It was a little bit of an air out of a balloon. Um, I didn't love that, you know, the prophets had changed Zek and that really the only reason why they change him back is just because Quark, like, tells them to or demands it. I thought that was a little bit forced um, and didn't necessarily fit with, like, why would they bother to do it, right? Like, just because he asks, they do it. Like, eh, that's a little bit thin as well. Um, this whole ending part just really fell flat for me. Well, there's one one thing about the the pro, the orb scene uh, when they're in the wormhole that I found very interesting was that they said that they changed the the, the wormhole aliens said they changed him into a more primitive Ferengi. Oh, okay. Which I thought was very interesting because I thought like, oh, so Ferengi used to be kind and benevolent, and then somehow they evolved into this very greedy. Yeah, that was. Like the the reason they um they changed him back was Quark was like well people are gonna come and they're gonna want to know what happened like why you did this and there's gonna all these Ferengi are gonna be coming to your to the wormhole wanting to know what happened and so they're like oh we we don't want that to happen so we'll just change him back but then there was also this this yeah they basically said that like yeah they changed him to a more primitive state of Ferengi which I thought was very interesting because. You'd almost you'd almost feel like it would be backwards, right? You'd start as this greedy, aggressive, and become like yeah, become like self actualized, and, and evolve into a yeah, exactly, evolve into a more kinder, benevolent society. You know that seems to be kind of the normal human progression. So I thought it was very interesting that it was kind of backwards for Frankie. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can only hope that that's our progression. That's definitely the way Star Trek <laughs> shows us ending up. But of course, in, this is you know 90s star trek we have to get back to where we started and uh so uh zek is back to normal and uh he's going to destroy all the new copies and he's going to swear <laughs> rom and quark to secrecy that he ever donated to charity and then like you mentioned rom kind of has an interesting little piece where he was actually embezzling which was kind of like oh wow that's an interesting like final twist but i guess that he made quark and him a little bit of money yeah, the send-off was pretty funny, I thought. Like, you know, Zach, they turn him back and, you know, and he's like, don't tell anyone I donated to charity. And, and you know, made very certain that, you know, Quark and Rom were going to destroy <laughs> every last page of those books that he uh that he that he wrote and then yeah there's uh there there is a bit of a, a a funny part at the end where you know rom basically admits that you know he embezzled 
money from the benevolent uh <laughs> which in and of itself is pretty funny you know benevolence association or whatever it was called and yeah ron was like you know, milking money from it pretty pretty yeah, good pretty, pretty ferengi of him yeah i think what, what was quark's line he said something like father would be proud yeah that's exactly <laughs> what he said in this episode, we get a very different Zach, and we already kind of talked about this a little bit, but he, he turns into a philanthropist, which is the complete opposite of what you would expect from a Ferengi. Did you think it worked in this episode? Did you buy Zek's uh, kinder, gentler side? You know what? I actually preferred Zek like this. Uh, I, I almost wonder if maybe it would have been an interesting character if he was like the leader of the Ferengi, but he, he was... Uh, more giving than everybody because he had just earned so much that it was kind of irrelevant to him. Because um, I, I really liked this version of Zek. I, I didn't find the voice or the mannerisms or anything to be as, you know, knife in the spine as it normally is. Uh, I think that this worked really great. I, I hate the resolution to it. And I hate the whole tie-in with the prophets. I thought that that was, I, that, that, that to me almost is just like, Somebody must have saw like profit motive, but like with an F and then was like, oh, wait, I could change it to a PH and then it'll be like a whole thing with the profits. And I just think that I would have almost preferred it if it was like uh, an illness or something or like something about, you know, Frankie's an old age, like rather than getting Alzheimer's, they become like philanthropists. Something other than the profits (laughs) would have worked really well. But as on the whole, I, I really liked Zek in this episode and Wallace Shawn's performance as well. Yeah, it was certainly different, and I I thought Wallace Shawn definitely pulled off the kind the, this kind of uh, you know kinder, gentler Zek pretty well. I certainly liked even even like you know the little thing of like giving up Beetle snuff. I thought that was pretty a pretty funny thing to throw in there. And uh, yeah, I mean it was it was definitely uh, fun to watch. Um, you know, and I I think that's true just about any time you get these you know episodes where the actors get to do a full 180 with the, the characters and have some fun. I, I find that they do generally go off pretty well. I mean, it's essentially the flip of the, like the mirror universe is where you get to see all the characters being their evil self. This is kind of taking like an evilly character and see, turning him into his good self, which is kind of an interesting flip reverse. Yeah. Speaking of flip reverses. So two, two podcasts ago, we basically had Cork versus Rom and the, the, the labor dispute with uh, bar association. And this, this, uh, this edition, we get uh, the opposite. They, uh, you know, they sort of work together because they're both mortified over, you know, Grand Agus's Zex, uh, strange behavior and um i i actually thought there was you know some good scenes between them as they were sort of working together um i mean once he sort of got past the the messy quarters and rom like pillaging items from cork's bar i thought they were they were pretty good team as far as like you know trying to get to the bottom of this and working together and and i i thought it was an interesting contrast from what we saw recently and i thought it was you know pretty good overall yeah it had a little bit of that like nog and jake team up like they do that combo a lot where nog and jag if not nog and jake are up to no good uh and they're kind of scheming and working together and it kind of had that level of similarity for me anyway like i i kind of like seeing these two team up uh the the the, the brother team uh is 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 just different especially since these two are always at their throats so to see them working together and to actually end the episode 
with uh, Quark being proud or saying that the, the father would be proud, I thought was actually really nice to see and different for a change. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, def- yeah, and you're right. They are often at each other's throats and as brothers sometimes are. And so it was very nice to see them uh, working together for a change. A couple of little quick things. So this is the only episode in which Mayhardu speaks. Now, it's not really Mayhardu. It's the prophet's sort of in his using his his body but we do get to hear his voice which is uh kind of neat yep and uh as seems to be usual with the deep space nine episodes that we we randomly select there's no jake in this episode no there's not yeah it's uh yeah it's, it's strange one but i mean i guess at this point we've had a lot of deep space nine this season and uh not a lot of jake so uh i guess last season when we had in the cards we should have uh, really savored it because uh, <laughs> we're not getting a whole lot of jake episodes here again credit to his uh agent for yeah really getting him on the main credits and not showing up in this episode uh just a couple of quick production notes there wasn't really a lot out there that i could find but a few interesting things as we mentioned already this is the first episode ever directed by Rene aubergenois and um you know i read a sort of short interview about this his directing this episode where he, you know he sort of talked about um how there was a lot of decisions to be made as a director and you know every you have to make like tons and tons of decisions and i guess he kind of struggled with that because he's not really a, a guy that likes to have to make decisions so it's a bit of a challenge for him to get through this uh especially being the first one but uh i didn't really have any issues with direction i don't think nothing really jumped out at me as as you know sort of bad in that regard so good on him for plowing through yeah there was nothing really overly uh there was nothing overly had stood out but you had mentioned in the notes actually that there was kind of an interesting and kind of humorous direction uh in that scene where they go and take uh, zek to the shuttle and i mean that would have been him yes uh, definitely decided to to do that so i mean that's kind of showing some creativity i think yeah for i thought that scene was funny for two reasons number one they they had zek in a giant sack (laughs) like just a big black sack and the mayhard who's like got him hoisted over his shoulder and he's just walking around the corridors with a person in a sack and no one bats an eyelash at it and then yeah you mentioned the 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 direction that um you know, they're, Quark and Rom go to look around the corner and Quark's sort of like on the top part of it and Rom sort of sticks his head sort of partway down and it, um, I guess that's sort of a, a, a Marx Brothers kind of thing. Right, And yeah. um, he actually, Renee, when he did that, he was, at first he was like, oh my goodness, they're going to, the producers are going to be horrified when they see this because, you know, I thought he thought maybe he was sort of going too far, but apparently Irish Stephen Bear loved it. He thought it was great. You know, took a bit of a risk there, but it, it paid off. I, I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, it wasn't really terrible or, or didn't really... It fit with the tone of the episode, I think. Yeah, no, I, I definitely thought that it was, it, was, it was pretty humorous. And, I mean, it's one of those things where they've been doing TV shows and movies and stuff for so long. It's pretty hard to come up with stuff that's kind of unique and different. So I also kind of think maybe Wallace Shawn was only available for a little bit because they didn't show him at the beginning. It was just the hooded character, and now he's in the sack here. I wonder if maybe they just could only get him for a certain period of time. And, and so this was kind of some ways of, of getting around, around it. having him, you know. I have a friend who's, you know, who's an actor and he did a, a short film. And, uh, there, you know, it, there's a corpse involved. And so they, in the movie, they someone gets shot and killed and they have, they, they pull a sheet over the person. And um, 
He said that during like some of the later scenes, the person under the 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 sheet was actually like the uh, the assistant director. It wasn't actually the yeah, actor. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, there that those there are ways that they can sort of get around those things that, uh, you know, that it, it, you don't think of twice about it when you're watching it, but then when you read it after, it's like, oh my goodness, the, the AD was under there. It wasn't the actor. That's crazy. Those ADs got to earn their paycheck too. So that's right. Double duty. <laughs> yeah. The last little bit um, was the, uh, the scenes with the wormhole aliens. Um, they were done using basically the same technique as an emissary, but there were a few subtle differences and I, it did seem a little different to me than emissary which we actually watched not too long ago i think that was last year was mm, emissary yeah i think so and i think the reason for that is they had a different director of photography and so i guess they did it just a little bit differently they sort of used the same sort of general techniques but a few of the specific settings like i'm not a i'm not a photography or filming expert so it's kind of technical stuff i imagine but yeah it's it, it did look very similar but i it did have kind of a different sort of look to it to me yeah it looked pretty cool i thought yeah i mean it wasn't bad it was just kind of uh, i just sort of noted that it was there there were a few like little subtle differences i feel like in emissary there was a lot more sort of like white light on the screen yeah. and this it, they, they there was a little bit more color to this one but the, the effect was still very very much the same definitely uh any memorable scenes or uh lines that uh, stuck out to you in this one i mean i guess my favorite thing that i would say is just that i i, I think my favorite piece is that they reversed the rules of acquisition that's uh, so, i mean i i think that the opposite ones it was a nice little easter egg and i thought that it was kind of a cool way uh of kind of taking that 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 joke and 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 tying it back to stuff that we were aware of so that that would probably be mine okay um the one scene that kind of stuck out to me um i think more because of where it was was the dart game and i think it was more because it was in the cargo bay and not in quarks that one kind of stuck out to me as uh you know fairly noteworthy scene uh, and there was one line uh, when they were sort of in that final orb uh, experience that I thought was, I, I just found it, you know, being a man of few words at times, I thought it was actually kind of cool. Uh, one of the one of the wormhole aliens uh, said, uh, linguistic communication is so tiresome because <laughs> yeah, I guess, they, you know, because they've been going back and forth and Quark's trying to appeal to them to, you know, turn Zek back and. There's a lot of sort of back and forth, and I guess one of them just got tired of it, and of the linguistic communication. Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. All right, uh, give, me a f give me your final thoughts, Andrew, on uh, this episode, and give me a rating out of uh, five revised rules of acquisition. Uh, yeah, this is one of those episodes where I feel like every time you watch it, it probably gets like a little less funny. Um, I think that the first time I watched this, it was probably really funny, and now... It's pretty funny, and then I the next time I watch it, it'll be kind of funny, and then not funny, and then uh, like it's totally one of those episodes where it, it is really probably just meant to be. Watch it once, go on with your life. It's not really the kind of episode that's deep enough or important enough to kind of go back to and revisit and really dissect it. Even though I feel like we did a pretty good job. Uh, of it uh, I think for me it's really middle of the pack if it was available to me I would give this two and a half but we don't really do the the fractions and the decimals so I'm going to err on the side of two revised rules of acquisition out of five 
it's okay. And I mean, I did enjoy it. It was it was an enjoyable watch, but I, I don't know that there's really enough there to, yeah, there's not really enough there to, to, to bump it up into that like 60% range. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, this uh, this to me, and I, I, I sort of mentioned this off air, I guess, this to me seems like a very like run of the mill sort of trip through the episode factory. It starts off pretty good. Um, there's some pretty good funny bits early on and there's kind of a bit of a mystery around like why is Zach acting the way he is but you know and the Bashir part was was kind of good too but sort of towards the maybe two-thirds or three-quarter mark through the episode it all just kind of fell apart like there's that bizarre orb scene and then there's that you know Quark takes Zach into the wormhole and there's that whole big back and forth and and um yeah, I don't know. Like it was, it, it was not horrible. I certainly didn't uh, have any trouble getting through this one, but I, I, I feel like it just, it, it was one of those ones where it starts really, really good, and then it, it kind of fell apart at, at a, you know, towards the end. So, um, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna channel my uh, inner philo- philanthropic Zek, uh, and give this one three revised rules of acquisition out of five. I mean, it was. It was passable and it was, you know, it had some good parts, especially in the beginning, but overall it was, you know, it was, it was not really anything special. All right, I hear the red alert siren, which means we are close to the end of our podcast and that is the time when we will draw a brand new episode from the Ferengi hood of episodes. And Andrew will have one minute to tell me everything he can remember from the episode, Andrew. What uh, what are you what are you hoping for here? You got any wishes and uh, high hopes? I have not looked at the scoreboard, and I typically don't. But I have a sinking suspicion that I am slowly slipping behind you in the uh, overall season score. You've been on a bit of a hot streak of late. Um, and so I think that, uh, I need something here that's going to kind of keep me in the running because, um, as crazy as it is, uh, man, summer is like literally just around the corner for us. And, uh, as the summer hits, as Matt, you know, uh, we'll be into our big birthday bonanza and our, uh, you know, end of season three. So if I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to make a last ditch run, it's now or never. I don't know how you'll do with this one, <laughs> Great. but um, we'll get we'll we'll throw it out there anyways. So uh, we're returning to uh, the next generation, which uh, I feel like we haven't been uh, on the Enterprise D for a little while. Um, it's from season two, episode number eight, and the title is "Matter of Honor." Season two, some early, early next generation. Andrew is writing furiously here. He's giving me his poker face. I'm not sure whether he's confident or bluffing. I feel like this 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 might be one of those ones, Matt, where I can kind of I can kind of work something here, maybe. All right. I'm ready, man. Start the clock. Let's uh, let's do it. I guess. Okay, Andrew looks like he's ready to go. I'm gonna put one minute on the clock, and Andrew, your time begins now. 
So with Matter of Honor, obviously Honor makes me think that this is going to be a wharf centric episode. And because it's early season two, I think that this is going to be one of those opportunities for us to kind of see some backstory stuff with Worf, um, as well as kind of like his Klingon heritage. I think that this is an episode where we see him not fitting in with his, uh, you know, Klingon uh, heritage, as well as when we're introduced to the fact that he has human parents. Uh, we'll obviously hear the line, Worf, son of Moog, and we're actually probably going to get a little bit of information on how um, his father uh, and his relationship with his father kind of kind of went that way. Uh, I think we might also get introduced to some of the kind of like some other Klingons, but they're not going to be any of the major ones that we're used to, uh, like from Deep Space Nine and stuff like that. Eventually, Picard and Riker and co are going to kind of help him out um, uh, of kind of a sticky situation. But uh, in total, it's really just going to be kind of a warp centric episode. And your time is up. I believe this is definitely a Klingon episode. I seem to think this might... Do you remember that episode where Riker ends up going on a Klingon ship? That I thought of, but then I was also thinking that maybe that was like a little bit later. But it could be, yeah, the the one where they transferred him so that he could kind of like cut his teeth. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Interesting thought. Uh, And if that is the case, then... I'm probably way off, but I did say Klingon, so I'll get one out of five at least. Uh, you guys will all have to uh, come back in a fortnight and uh, and see how I made it. Yep, fire up your streaming device or uh, dust off your DVDs or VHS, as the case may be, and uh, for season two, and check out uh, Matter of Honor, and we will be back in two weeks' time to uh, give you our review of Matter of Honor. Bye-bye, everybody. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4, The Sci-Fi Feminist, a feminism and pop culture podcast. Yes, uh, cosplaying as Lara Croft doesn't work, but... That did spark my interest in her, and for my master's dissertation, I wrote about Rise of the Tomb Raider. And continuing into my current study, she's still the topic of research and investigation. So I feel like um, we're basically best friends or sisters. We are really close, (laughs) me and Laura. It feels like I have some personal relationship with her, which is why I'm really happy to share my research about Laura Croft at this point in this podcast. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was seemingly long when they were driving with him and, and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene, driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.